You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Daniel chapter 7, verses 15 through 28. You can follow along on the screen or turn in your pew Bible to page 745. I don't have my reading glasses. <laughs> As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked... This horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And thus he says of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Okay, so this is, uh, I believe, the fifth Sunday, and kids are in the service, but here's, here's the catch. Um, out in the foyer is paper. If you draw or a picture related to anything to what you, in relationship to what you heard or a picture of the ser- something in the sermon, uh, I have these tokens for Culver's. Uh, I, I was corrected after the first service. It's not ice cream, it's custard. I need to get that right because uh, those who are from Wisconsin not be happy if I described it as ice cream. It's custard. But you get a free scoop of custard, uh, custard ice cream. Custard, not ice cream, custard. Anyway, so you know. You know the point. All right, so if you do that, at the end of the service, I'll be up here. If you bring your picture up, uh, I, I, whatever you draw, whatever you even... If Some kids, last service, took notes. Like I had one kid come up and it's like a whole page of notes. Um, you'll get one of these. How are you? Um, we have food after the service, so I hope you're hungry. Uh, there's pulled pork, burgers, I think hot dogs. 
I thought I heard brats. Um, Brian is out there uh, cooking, and so I think all the food will be in the modular, in the, in the modular, which is just right over here. But here's, here's the thing, guys and gals, uh, anybody who wants to help, I thought it, because it's raining out, um, we could also set some tables up in here after the service. So if you can just move some chairs around, we'll set up some tables in here. Maybe we can put some out in the hallway. Uh, there are tables set up in the modular. That way you don't have to eat food out in the rain. Sound, sounds good? I didn't know I jinxed or whatever you want to call it, the, you know, our day when I talked about our jumping castle and the theme was frozen, which was appropriate for Wyoming. We canceled the jumping castle, though, because it's so wet outside. But we will make it up to the kids. We're going to do more barbecue stuff. Sound good? Good. I like food and jumping castles. So. All right, last week, uh, we started in Daniel chapter 7. And so if you're here and you're new uh, and you're just checking out Meadowbrook for the first time, I've been preaching through uh, the book of Daniel, and um, kind of the, my M.O. In, in the way I do things is I feel like I don't really have anything better to say than what's in this book, and so at Meadowbrook, uh, you know, we practice what is called expository preaching. All that means is that we work through in a while, uh, several times, and so that's what we're doing with Daniel. Uh, every once in a while, uh, several times, probably about two times a year, I'll do something that addresses culture and kind of what's happening in our world. Um, I got a sermon series I'm working on right now titled Songs of Summer. I'll tell you more about that uh, because I'm going to ask for your help uh, as we get closer to ending our series in Daniel. But I, uh, I told you last week, I said, what we'll do is we'll cover the first half of Daniel chapter 7 and then... Uh, I talked about these four different beasts that are listed in Daniel, and they represent four different empires, four different kingdoms. And out of the fourth beast were these ten horns, and three of the horns were, were told were plucked out, and, and in its place grew a smaller horn that had eyes like a man. And, and, um, and so it was a description of this, of this other ruler that come that rises up in the scene of human history. I told you that we'll talk about him this week when I was preaching on this last week. Um, and so that's what I'm going to do. Uh, we'll focus our attention primarily on him, and then I'll spend some time talking about the Son of Man who is Jesus and, and, uh, and how all that you know, fits together. But before I do that, at the, uh, the beginning of May, I believe it was, uh, Marvel released a trailer that caused me to geek out. I just was like, man, this is so cool. For anybody who knows me, you know that I love superheroes. Like, I, I'm particularly fond of Marvel. If you ever have been in my office, I have Marvel figures, figurines all throughout my, you know, all around my office. And uh, I have a few DC characters like Batman. I think he's pretty cool. Um, and uh, I collect comic books. So you'll know, so I have to add context for those of you who don't know me. So when I saw this trailer, I got goosebumps, and I was like, yes, I even had to show it to some of the staff. I'm like, you got to check this out. Marvel released this trailer that I thought was brilliant. And the reason why I thought it was brilliant is just the way they did it. Basically, it's an invitation to come back to, the, come back to theaters, you know, and that Marvel's got this plan, and, um, and, and, that, uh, and that we should be excited about that. 
Here's why we should be excited about not just Marvel, but stories in general. We are wired. In our DNA is a love for stories. It might not be, to, it might not be Marvel. It might not even be movies. It might be books. It might be stories that you, hear, you heard as your mom or dad you know, read stories to you when you were, you, were, you were a little kid. There's this guy by the name of Robert Dickman who wrote an article, a whole, actually a paper, a scholarly paper on stories. And he, this is how he described story. He said, story is a fact wrapped in an emotion that can compel us to take action and so transform the world around us. So in our DNA is this love of stories. Why? Because we know that there's something not right with the world around us. We, we, in, a, in us, we long for someone to come along to make what is wrong with the world right. We want a hero, we want a deliverer to rescue us from the antagonist of whatever that may be. Maybe, maybe it's a disease or just the, the crazy things in our world. Maybe it's COVID or in this case in Daniel chapter 7, it's an individual that's going to arise on the scene in human history. And so I saw this trailer and I'm like, Yes, this is so brilliant. It's brilliant because of the timing. It, it's, it's emotional because, because of the voice you know, the, uh, that you hear in the trailer, who was Stan Lee, who died you know, several years ago. And, uh, and I just wanted to show, show it to you. So I, I want you to see it. Geek out with me if you want. Um, but we're going to show the trailer. So why show you that? How is that related to Daniel chapter 7? Because in Daniel chapter 7 are the elements of, of what makes a great story great. All, gra all great stories include these four elements. One is um, passion. Uh, does the story contain sufficient passion to engage the emotions of its target, its target audience? A hero. Does the story provide um, you know, a clearly defined point of view? Can the facts that lie at its core be understood? Can the point of view be comfortably accepted by the target audience? Then you have an antagonist. Are the obstacles that uh, confront that hero of the story uh, expressed clearly so that the actions needed to overcome those obstacles are understood and the challenge of taking such actions fully accepted? And then transformation. Does the story have the power to change the life of the audience in a meaningful way. And so those are, so Dickman, the guy I, I mentioned, he said those are the elements that are true in every great story. In every great story, you've got to have those four elements you know, in it. There's got to be a hero. There's, got, there's, there's an antagonist. And what makes, you know, in my opinion, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but not just the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, Wizard of Oz, um, uh, just you know, you pick your your story. Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, whatever story you like to read. What makes those great is they include elements that are in the greatest story, like the story of all stories, a story that is historically relevant and true. It's from Genesis to Revelation. This is our story. In this story, there is an antagonist. You know, he uh, the, Jesus described him as a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his narrative or his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
In our story, there's a hero, a protagonist, who, who promises to, to make all that is wrong with the world right. That's Jesus. And, and through him, through his story, and through what he accomplished, through the gospel, the good news, the, the greatest story ever told, is there a transformation that has taken place? Absolutely. That story has transformed the lives of not just everyone in this room, or almost everyone in this room, but millions of others. And so in Daniel chapter 7, all those elements are, are, are in Daniel chapter 7. And so I, I, I know that like the, the idea of an, anti, an antichrist, you know, what is an antichrist? An antichrist is, is anyone who flat out rejects who Jesus is but also pushes that view on others. That's an antichrist. But there's this, this individual that's coming that's greater than any other king that has risen up through Rome, that could be scary. And so I want to reiterate what I said last week. The point of Daniel chapter 7 is not who the Antichrist is. The point of Daniel chapter 7 is not any type of suffering that, that we will suffer under the Antichrist. The, the, the point of Daniel chapter 7 is look at the Ancient of Days who reigns. It's the God of all creation. Look at the Son of Man who's coming. To, to, who will have dominion and will, and will establish this kingdom that will last forever, forever, and ever. Look at, look at those, and by looking at them, it will cause all the other things that may, may threaten you to dwarf in comparison. So I really just divided my, my, my message into two points. One is that antichrists have come and are coming. I thought, well, this will be the point where pictures might be interesting, kids draw, <laughs> of Antichrist. Daniel had this dream. I'll just, just kind of refresh your memory from last week. Daniel had a dream where four beasts emerged from the sea. The sea represents chaos. And um, they come out of the sea. The first beast was, was a lion with eagle's wings, which represented Babylon. The second beast was a bear. Uh, which represented the Medo-Persian Empire. The third beast was a leopard with four wings and four heads. <laughs> it was what, so every once in a while, I'll come home and I'll, I review my sermons again, just, uh, just uh, my worst critic. And, and, uh, and then after talking with the staff, um, I realized that I should have paid more attention in elementary school. I, I, I made the assumption last week that leopards were the fastest mammal on planet Earth. Um, and you all went along with it. So it's actually the cheetah. <laughs> yeah, see? And so you know what that did? That made me, um, that, that made me, that made me want to go, that made me do research. I got to somehow prove myself right. So, uh, so what's faster than a cheetah? A leopard with four wings. That's, that's, uh, so, uh, but, the, but I did some research. A leopard, they're, they're powerful. And so as I was looking, I learned that, you know, if you were to put a, a leopard versus a cheetah, a leopard would win. They're, they're stronger. They're more powerful. But the leopard with four heads and four wings, what does that represent? It represents the empire of Greece under Alexander the Great initially. The four heads probably are a reference to how Greece was divided into four, four parts, um, but of all, this, of all the beasts, those first three were not the most terrifying. The most terrifying is this fourth beast that came out of the sea. It had ten horns, which represents ten kings. 
I told you last week, uh, and if you weren't here last week, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you now, I believe this beast represents Rome. But I said uh, because uh, the first three horns were plucked out and a smaller horn grew up in, or ris, arisen in its place, uh, I believe it's Rome and more. And I said last week, I said, we're going to talk about the, in more, the and more part today. Like, this is today. We're talking about him. And that I believe it's a reference to this Antichrist that, that I believe is still coming. There have been others like him, and there is one that is, that is coming. He is described by Daniel as terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, at least the empire that he reigns and rules under. And then I thought, man, I wonder, you know, how, how many Caesars were there? Uh, well, there was 12, and, but two of them only you know, reigned for, for a, few, a, a short period of time. So maybe, maybe those ten horns are a reference to the different Caesars that have arisen you know, throughout Rome's history. What if, if that's true, then, then the first three horns that were plucked out, could that be a reference to maybe this Antichrist that's coming, this little horn that's coming, who's greater than all the other kings, that he exhibits the best traits or most fearsome traits of the first three Caesars? I mean, I don't know, but can you imagine a ruler who had all the best qualities of Julius Caesar, Augustus, and Tiberius? Um, just somebody who's just, just like as good as you could possibly get in being a general. Um, I mean, we learn, we learn in Daniel and we learn in Revelation that this person the world will worship him. They will adore him or her. <laughs> um, that, this, that this is a ruler who is, who is unlike any ruler that has come uh, before him. And, uh, and he will be powerful. And so and the point of Daniel chapter 7 is not, not so that we can figure out who the Antichrist is. It's just so that, we'll be, that we can be aware of who he is. Like, or to be aware that he's coming. That we're not surprised when he does pop up on the uh, on the scene of human history, and um, and he will be scary. We're told in verse twenty one that that this the little horn, this antichrist, even though antichrist is not used in chapter seven as a word, it is describing the antichrist that he will he will prevail and make war over the saints. That's us. And in verse twenty five says that he will speak against the Most High, wear out the saints, and change the times and the law, or at least he'll try to change the times and the law. I, I said at the very beginning of the sermon series that the devil is, is, is the great counterfeiter. And so you know, we learn in Revelation that, that it is Satan who gives, who, who basically hands his power over to this, this Antichrist. Not not. All, not, not because God is taking a nap or whatever. God allow, will allow this to happen. And this Antichrist will be, you know, he will be fierce and he will hate the people of God. We're told in Revelation chapter 13, I'll have the words on the screen, but if you're tracking with me in your Bible, you can, you can follow along also in Revelation 13, beginning with verse 5. You know, we're given a fuller description of this beast. It says, and the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. 
It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given, to, given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world and the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Meaning, all those who, who do not believe in Jesus will ultimately worship this thing, this, this, this ruler and this, this empire of some sort. And if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to, ca- to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance, of, uh, the endurance and faith of the saints. Like that's a theme all throughout Revelation. Like you think COVID was tough? Like all throughout Revelation says, endure, endure, and be saved. He who endures to the end will be saved. Will be saved. And, and his language, endure, endure, endure. Persevere, persevere, persevere. Like there's, there's worse stuff coming. It's worse than COVID. And, um, and so in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we're told of who this little horn is. It's the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, proclaiming himself to be God. And then I thought, well, were there any ones like this, this, this ruler? And yes, I can, I can identify at least four individuals who, who I think others have legitimately identified as the little horn. I don't think he is the little horn of Daniel chapter 7, but they were like him. There was Antiochus IV. In 168 BC, he marched into the Jewish temple and erected a statue of Zeus and sacrificed a pig on the altar of incense. That happened in history. I thought of uh, Titus, who besieged Jerusalem in AD 70. Actually, Jesus foretold that it would happen. He said, not a stone on this will be left on another, uh, referring to the temple. And, um, and Titus did that. Just before Passover, he besieged Jerusalem and within five months killed over a million Jews and destroyed the Jewish temple. I think he was an antichrist. And can you think of a third antichrist that, comes, that came to my mind as I was thinking about this? Hitler, Adolf Hitler is another example. Now, have there been other antichrists? Absolutely. But those are the three big names that come to mind. In 1 John chapter 2, the Apostle John said this of the antichrist. He said, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrists have come, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. When I read 1 John, you know, you know what that... Uh, you know, that, you know how that informs me? Here, I'm going to make a prediction. Ready? <laughs> what that tells me is that we are closer to the time that this Antichrist will be revealed than when John first wrote 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. You, here's another prediction. When it, yeah, some of you just got it. Um, <laughs> there are books that have been written you know, that you could find in Christian bookstores or used to be able to find in Christian bookstores identifying who the latest and greatest Antichrist is. There have been books that have been published by Christian you know, book, uh, publishers 
stating when Jesus is going to come. Jesus himself said, no one knows the time or the hour. Not even me, Jesus said. That authority has been given to God the Father, and he knows. You know when I know Jesus will come? Sooner than, like, the first century. Like, we're closer to the second coming of Jesus than when Jesus said he was coming again. Right? What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> it means it could, be, it could be five years from now. It could be 20 years from now. It could be 100 years from now. It could be 2,000 years from now. But the point is, is not, uh, the point of Daniel chapter 7 and the, the book of Revelation is not, not times and dates, but to be aware, to be alert, to know what's coming, so that you're not caught off guard. Like Jesus said, you know what, before, before I come again, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be famine. And what else did he say there was going to be? Pestilence. What is pestilence? Diseases. Pandemics. Like, they're coming. And they will come and they will increase and it will be just like the birth pangs that a, that a woman experiences just before birth. They will get closer and closer and closer together and more n- numerous and, and, and maybe even seem more overwhelming before the coming of Jesus. Are those things happening and happening more frequently? Absolutely. Should we hunker down and find a, a cave somewhere or, or dig a hole in the ground and you know, collect cans of soup? No. We should be alert. And, uh, and so who is the Antichrist? Anyone who denies the Father and the Son. That's what the Apostle John said in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. Uh, one, one theologian said this of Antichrist. The quote will actually be on the screen so you can follow along. He, says, said, he, he wrote this. He said, Antichrist and the Antichrist blaspheme God, persecute God's people, and are lawbreakers and, disru- and disruptors of God's good design. They deify themselves and turn the social order into godless chaos. This reaches a climax when the beast coming out of the sea in Revelation 13 emerges. He has and has had many forerunners, but he will top them all. He will top them all. So this, this Antichrist is... You know, he's, he's real. And, um, and when he comes, he will dwarf all those who have come before him. And he, when we read Daniel chapter 7, the very last verse, like even though the point of his dream was the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man, not the Antichrist, not these beasts, not this terrible beast that's coming, we're told that as for me, Daniel, he said, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. It was scary for him. This Antichrist will speak words against the Most High. He will pursue and harm those who follow Jesus and those who worship God as the Ancient of Days. And then we're also told, that his time is limit, will be limited. He's given a time, times, and half a time. In Revelation 13, verse 5, we're told that it will be 42 months. Basically, I don't know if a literal year or three, year, three and a half years or, or if it's figurative. I'm not sure. I, used to, I came out of a Bible college that, would, that taught me that, that there's going to be a literal seven-year tribulation. There's going to be you know, for half of that tribulation will be worse than the other half. I'm not certain, 
because there have been saints who, who, who have labored over understanding the Word of God, understanding the book of Revelation and Daniel, who have arrived at different conclusion, a different conclusion than that. They think that maybe it's more figurative. Well, the point is simply this, is that darker days are coming. The, the, there is an Antichrist who will come on the scene, and, um, but at the end of the day, we win. There is no power that these kingdoms have over the people of God. There is no claim that the Antichrist will have over your soul or over my soul. That's the point. The point is the King of Kings is coming. There is a hero. Like when I watched uh, Avengers Endgame and, and Captain America, you know, duked it out with Thanos. I don't know. How many of you have seen that movie? Okay, well, okay. Some of you haven't. Okay, that's okay. Anyway, I'm going to tell you anyway. So, so he's duking it out, and, and he's, he gets beat up, and then that's when, that's when like, all hope seems to be lost, and then, and then, um, then he hears, on your left, and, and you know, then you see all the, the heroes kind of emerge onto the scene, and that one scene where Captain America you know, reaches out his arm and, 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 and captures you know, Thor's hammer. And everybody in the theater that I was in also cheered. I don't know about you, if you saw it on opening day or opening night, but everybody cheered. You know what that reminded me of? That reminded me of the, the, the promise in the Bible, the greatest story of all stories, that our protagonist is coming and he's going to crush the antagonist. And there will be no match like there will be, there's not going to be. It's not going to be a grudge match. He's going to be victorious. I wanted to stand up, and I don't remember if I did or not. But I'm like, yes, like yes, because everything in us wants, wants all that is wrong with this world to be made right. Which leads me to my second and last point: is that the the Christ will conquer and transform. He will conquer. That's the point. He's going to conquer. He's going to reverse the curse of sin. He's going to make all that is wrong with this world right. He's going to defeat the, the, the beast. He's going to, in fact, we're told, kill the beast. The Ancient of Days will be responsible for killing the beast under the rule and reign of, of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of Man. That's why when, and you, if you were here for our Easter service, that's why when Jesus was asked by the high priest, tell us, are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. The, you know, the high priest tore his garments. He said, what, proof, what more proof or what more do we need to hear? He is guilty of blaspheming. Why would he, why would he accuse Jesus of blaspheming? Because Jesus said, I am the one that Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14 was talking about. I'm him. But before that happens, I first need to go to a cross. And we're told in Daniel that, that his dominion and glory is given to him and he'll have a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. In, verses four, in verse 14, it's an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Like that is the great hope of every, every follower of Jesus. Like we're inheriting a kingdom our inheritance is something that will not pass away and cannot be destroyed. You know, you know that's one of the reasons why death is called an enemy? In the Bible, 
I, I, I also say this at every funeral, that it's okay to hate death. It is not natural. It is the most unnatural thing that every human being has to experience because it's something that has come as a result of the curse, but it's not something that God has, has purposed for his people to be, the, to be our experience. Our purpose and by design are to, to experience life, but life that's rooted in the God whose image we bear. And so Jesus is going to reverse the, 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 the curse of sin. Proof of that is that he walked out of the tomb. Which means death has no final claim on the people of God. You know, and the word Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not on his driver's license. <laughs> like Jesus Christ. That's his title. Messiah, deliverer, hero. The first enemy Jesus defeated was sin. The second enemy he conquered was death. The third enemy will be the beast, the antichrist, the dragon, and uh, the spirit of Babylon. We're told in verse 26, I love this, uh, but the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away. Whose dominion? The beast, the antichrist, the devil, that his power will be stripped from him. And, uh, and what will happen as a result? Well, for starters, they will be consumed and destroyed to the end. In Revelation, we learn that that place is called the Lake of Fire. That's where they'll be forever and ever and ever and ever. But then in verse 27, it says, and this is the second time in chapter 7 that we're reminded of what we will inherit and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to who? The people of the saints of the Most High. Do you know who that is? That's us. That's why I've said, I've said to you, I've said multiple times, that if you are a Christian, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are an heir of all that belongs to him. Like you are a recipient of all that belongs to him. His inheritance is your inheritance. Like think about what that means. Like what do the kings of this earth have in, I mean, what can they offer in comparison to that? Nothing. In Matthew 24, verses 29 through 30, Jesus described when this, you know, what, what, the, the events that will, that will happen leading up to what Daniel chapter 7 is predicting. Immediately after the tribulation, so this is the, the last part of Daniel chapter 7, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's Daniel chapter 7. Jesus is our, is our hero. We're given a glimpse of what that day is going to look like in Revelation chapter 19. I, I love the contrast in Revelation chapter 19 with the beast. How many horns does the beast have? Ten. How many crowns does Jesus wear? You can't count them. In, I know, it's a trick question. In, innumerable. Why? Well, listen, I saw, this is chapter 19 of Revelation, 
Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Why a white horse? Before the battle, why would there be a white horse? Well, a white horse was symbolic. Uh, you know, every um, general or, or anybody who's been victorious in battle in Rome, they would ride into their city or into whatever place on a white horse after their victory, symbolizing their victory. Jesus, before the battle even begins, is riding a white horse. Why? <laughs> because he's already won. That's why. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, meaning he's not a politician. He's not any king on, on, on this earth, like any king on this earth. He is faithful and he is true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. That's crowns. You can't count them. And he has a name that is written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Do you know who that is? Us. That's us. Even before the, battle, the final battle begins, we're following him. Do we have to do anything? No. Guess what we get to do? We just get front row seats because we learn how Jesus will defeat the armies. So this, or all those gathered against them, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God, the Almighty. Do you know how he defeats all those, who, how he will defeat the, the Antichrist, the beast, and all those who are gathered against him? the word of his mouth. I mean, I don't think there's this mystical, cool sword that just comes out of his mouth and just slaughters everybody. I think he just says, enough. And then they just die. Um, every great story has a happily ever after. Would you agree? I mean, uh, every story that you feel like hey, martial arts or samurai movie, ever watched like Japanese martial arts or samurai movies? Anybody? Like everybody dies at the end, and even the hero, and that's supposed to be glorious. I mean, there have been a couple of movies we watched. I'm like, really? Like everybody? That's so depressing. I just want to go curl in the fetal position and take a nap. Um, every great story has a happily ever after. You know what our happily ever after is? Verse 27, it's in your Bible. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. In the end, brothers and sisters, we win. Think about what that means. If the ancient of days is for you, who can be against you? Like, what, like what can the kings of earth ever like, really do to you? What can any power that emerges from this earth, uh, these na the nations around us in our nation, what, what, the school district, whatever, what can they do to you? What can COVID do to you? What can cancer really do to you? 
Like when you're on your bed and you're breathing those last gasps of air, what can death really do to you? Nothing. Like they had no power over your soul. That's why Jesus said, some of you they will kill, but not a hair on your head will perish. And that's the point of Revelation and Daniel. Hard stuff's coming. Difficult things are coming. Persevere. Endure to the end. It's worth it. It's worth it. Like, like fear is not the inheritance of the people of God. You know what the inheritance of the people of God is? A God who is faithful to us even when we're faithless. And if the Son of Man is your deliverer and your Savior, then even the kingdoms of this world, even Babylon, or whatever else, can do their worst, but they ultimately have no power over your soul. Your citizenship rests in the hands of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, period. And that citizenship is in the kingdom of God that will endure forever, forever, and ever. When I think of that, I, I, my mind always and frequently goes to Revelation chapter 5. And I just want to end with, with this. This is <laughs> all of heaven. It's going to have their yes moment, their amen moment, their Hallelujah moment. Describing Jesus, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. That's us. That's us. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Right? He's coming. And I heard every creature in heaven and on, and on earth and under the earth, even the demons, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Like, amen to that. Like, even the demons, there's coming a day where they will sing that song, even from the pits of hell. And every person who has rejected Jesus uh, who's not believed in Jesus, will even sing that song, even from the pits of hell. You think hell, you, there's, you're, you're not able to see the presence of God? His presence is there. But so is torment. Like, our happily ever after is that we will sing to him who sits on the throne as citizens of his kingdom. Period. That's why Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is just, just so good to me. There is, therefore, what? No condemnation for those who are in who? Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the point of Daniel 7. That's the point of the book of Revelation.
That is our inheritance. If you're not a Christian, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you don't have to have all your theological questions answered. The Bible just says, believe that that God sent his son to live the life we can never live. He died the death that we all deserve on a cross in our place for our sin. And on the third day after he was buried, he rose from the grave. Any person who believes that will be saved. Not just with your head, but with your heart. That what Jesus did is enough. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your, the gospel, for the promise of your word. Thank you that our happily ever after is coming. And that happily ever after is an offer that's available to all who do not yet believe in Jesus, that if they just believe in him, if they just receive the good news that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that that can also be their happily ever after too. Just to be able to receive it by faith free. Not something that has to be worked for. Thank you that this is our inheritance. That's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.